The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Father, we pray, give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're in a new season. We've crossed over into a new season. You all know that. Uh, if you don't, may you be informed that we're in a brand new season. There are seasons, just like there's in seasons in life, there are seasons in God. The Bible says in the book of Joel, also quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost, that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I do both and that makes me middle-aged, all right? I see dream, I have dreams and I have visions, so I'm, 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 I'm middle-aged. Anyway, in the same way in life that there's seasons, there's seasons in God. Now, Israel, according to Leviticus 23, is required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate for three festivals. Those festivals or feasts are, one, the Passover. Every male is supposed to go during Passover. Now when it says every male, it's really the family would go. Males are required Passover. Number two, the feast of Pentecost. And number three, the feast of Tabernacles. When I say that God has seasons, in fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says, and by faith we understand that the worlds were framed. The word framed is eon or aeon. It means not just the earth and creation that we see, but all of the planets and, and everything and all of creation, not just created as the deist would think, wound up like a clock and then just let it go. No, no, God is involved in every season. Even though he's outside of time, he's involved in time. And he framed it, kartotismos, like your finger is jointly fit together. He jointly fit together all the seasons, all of creation, all the planets, everything all together to work perfectly exactly the way he wants it to. So at the exact time when the fullness of time had come, he sent his son into time, out of eternity, into time, putting on robes of flesh, walking the earth. I might preach this morning, this afternoon or whatever time it is, walking the earth for 33 and a half years, taking the sin of the world upon himself, dying on a cross, he did it in perfect timing. You think if he did it hundreds of years before, maybe a thousand years earlier, wouldn't that have been better? No, even things like the road system of the Romans was designed so the gospel could get out quickly to the earth. I'm telling you, God, down to every infinitesimal detail, ordered the arrival of his son, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the beginnings of the foundations of the earth. The disciples said to Jesus, is it that this time that you will restore the kingdom. And Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has ordered, but you will be endued with power from on high. God has times and seasons. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to rejoice and a, a time to weep. There's a time to be born, time to die. There's timings. And God is moved to us in the earth, I boldly declare, into a brand new season, which started Wednesday. 
<laughs> okay, how do you know that? Well, let, let, me, let me break it down. Some of you looking at me like I just, you know, slipped off into some, you know, heresy. Started Wednesday. I'm just telling you, it's what I believe. And I can, I can prove why I believe it. And I'm just blind, blindly, because oh, I, I feel it. My goldfish jumped up. and now that, that's just, I don't care what's your goldfish. You better not do the seasons of your life and how God's do, doing things in the earth by your goldfish. When he has a word, and his word is a lamp unto a feet, a light upon our path, his word is going to endure forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain. So his word talks about how every man should go to, to return to Jerusalem three times a year. What are the, what are the, fest, the feasts, festivals? Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. Passover, it's just, just to tie it in for you, Passover is when the death angel passed over, hence the word Passover, and the final plague that came upon Egypt. And if the blood of a lamb, one lamb per household, was put on the doorposts and the lentils of their home, then the death angel would pass over. And thousands of years later, John the Baptist, standing there, says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is God's Lamb. Guess when he died? Passover. On the exact time that you would kill the Lamb as a Jew in celebration of the Passover festival, just like they did, he was killed on a cross. Fulfilling over 300 scriptures that prophesied that God would do that very thing. Oh, the book you hold in your hand or in your iPad or your tablet or your phone. That's not something that was just thrown together. It's written on three different continents, 66 different books. Everything from paupers to princes and farmers wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it all fits together. And if you say, well, it contradicts itself. It's only because you're uneducated and you haven't been trained in the things of the Word of God. Yeah, you, you know, don't, don't talk about stuff that you don't know about. If you find something that's a contradiction, it's only because you haven't been studied to learn. And we can help you. We can teach you in those things. You are holding the Word of God. I'm not preaching out of the book of the Encyclopedia. Pedia Britannica this morning. I'm not going to read out of the Reader's Digest. I'm reading out of the Word of God, or the Word of God. And I'm quoting Scripture to you, an understanding from the Word. Passover, Jesus, Passover. At the outpouring of the Spirit, different seasons, right? At the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, this is that, which is prophesied by Prophet Joel. It was the Feast of Pentecost. Come on, somebody go like this. All right, just pretend you're a Pentecostal. All right. We, they call ourselves Pentecostal churches because of the outpouring of the Spirit. So, so are you a Christian? Say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Spirit-filled Christian. I'm a Pentecostal believer. So is that different than, than another kind? We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in prophecy. Some powerful words released over people today. Come on, some of you all got touched. People, how many have been touched just in this service? Okay, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you, for me. Lives on the inside of us. No longer in a temple, but in a temple not made by human hands. In your heart, my heart. Outpouring of Spirit took, outpouring of Spirit took place on Pentecost. That's, there, there we go. That's the second holiday. The third one. The Feast of Tabernacles started Wednesday night. So 
So what's so significant about that? Now, many scholars believe that, okay, Jesus, Passover, Pentecost, outpouring the Spirit, they believe that the Feast of Tabernacles, that Jesus will return during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It is still the Feast of Tabernacles today, right now. We're right in the middle of it. God's got a calendar. The Feast of Tabernacles, they would build these booths. In fact, I'm told, I haven't been to Israel, but if you go to Israel today, you'll see booths on top of houses like tents. They camp out for a week in remembrance of God bringing them through the desert and providing for them, bringing them through the wilderness. And so they would sleep in these tents, these tabernacles, these little houses, as a reminder that they slept in the wilderness and God provided for them. He gave them manna. He gave them water from the rock. He gave them quail. Come on, somebody say amen. He did all of that and tabernacles is to celebrate what God did and remember that. I'm preparing for Wednesday night. Now, Wednesday night we had church. And as the sun was setting, we opened up in worship right at the start of the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, Wednesday night was a powerful time and I preached on this. And on my way, uh, as I actually in my preparation for Wednesday, the Lord spoke to me and said, on your way to church, I want you to lie down on the road. And I thought, wow. And I, mean, I knew that the Lord had spoken to me. I had an idea of what was going to happen. I told my wife, she says, that's different. Come on, the, the Lord does different things uh, in me. I, I mean, come on, has God, has God ever done some strange thing? If you don't let reason guillotine your faith, God will speak to you. And if you do things God's way, it'll release God stuff. So I thought, well, I'm going to wear some, I'll wear a t-shirt, I'll lie in the road. I knew I was going to lie in the road. I'm going to do, do lie in the road before you go to church. And so I was going to get a t-shirt. The Lord's like, no, you're wearing, you wear whatever you're wearing to church. You lie in the road, then you get up, then you go to church. And so I knew, I, you know, how I knew what I had to do. I turned the corner on Lucille Street, just down here. And I saw the place. You know, I'm looking, Lord, where do you want me to do this? And I, I saw just after the key bank, right on the corner there by the, um, the car wash, there's a little parking lot right there. I pulled over and I was going to strategically park my truck and walk around the other side of my truck between the truck and kind of being blocked by the building and lie down on the asphalt so that nobody could see me. My wife was worshiping God. I walked around the back side, the side of my truck. I looked around. Come on, oh, yeah, that's the pastor of KC over there. He's lying in the road. I gave a good look. I said, hallelujah. Looked around. And I got down. And the moment I put my face on the asphalt, it wasn't as warm as this carpet. It was quite cold. The power of God fell on me. I mean, like a waterfall of his power came on me as I lied on that, on that asphalt. And I knew exactly what he was doing because I'd been on asphalt before and I wasn't saved and I certainly wasn't doing some prophetic act and I wasn't doing some remembrance thing. I'd been on asphalt before and I wasn't saved and I was a broken man and God brought me off of the pavement and I wept. I wept there and then my face got really cold on one side and decided maybe I should freeze the other side of my face and so <laughs> I switched and I was worshiping God and, uh, and my wife is worshiping in the truck and I looked underneath my truck tires and I saw a large truck pull into the, the parking lot I felt led to get up and there's an ambulance there's an ambulance that spotted me on the ground 
And so I, I, I get up and the ambulance comes pulling up and the guy's looking at me I'm like, it's all good, bro. I'm like, I smile, I'm like, it's, it's all right. It's like, he's like, an okay, nut job, right? I mean, I don't know what he's thinking. <laughs> Just a fun little story that the way that God sort of leads me and I was reminded of how God brought me out of my own wilderness. Anybody thankful that he brought you out of the wilderness? Come on, you think about where you'd be. You th it's good to remember. And you know, spiritual amnesia is a recipe for a disaster for a believer. You remember where you came from. Remember what he brought you out of. Remember how he healed you, how he saved you, how he set you free, how you were lying in your bed so tormented sometimes you just, just hoped that you would maybe die because it would be better than the, being in the place that you're at. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I know many of you have been there. So depressed, you can't find your way out of a paper bag. You don't even want to breathe anymore. So many times seeing dark figures and hearing voices. And, and God set you free. Is anybody excited about that? Somebody said, hey, do you have to get so excited about Jesus? Do you have to get so excited? Do you have to run around the building and get all excited? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that you would wear a cheese hat and scream for a piece of pig skin going over a, a white line on 100 yards, and you can't get excited about God and what he's done for you. That's weird. You want to talk about weird? I think that's weird. I think it's weird that people would paint their face, but they can't say, hallelujah, thank you, ah thank you, Jesus. Can't get excited for God. It's because you're bound by a religious devil. Jesus did not walk around speaking in, in Elizabethan English with his hands folded, moving rather slowly. Oh, Heavenly Father. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. The, the man at the gate called beautiful, he's brought, there, he's brought there daily to beg. When he got healed, he was yanked to his feet. He began jumping and leaping and praising God. And if you were to see that in a religious church, it'd be like, what is that? What is that? Jumping. That's what it would be. Leaping. Praising God. I'm going to tell you something. 40 years old, that is not what homeboy did. Home slice, when he got healed, I mean, he is like, yeah, come on. Come on, Jesus. Oh, ah, ah, ah. He went nuts. I think he lost his mind. He was leaping and praising God and lifting his voice. There's so many people that are bound by religious devils. I'm going to tell you, it'll never get you victory. It'll never set you free. It'll never move you into a place of victory. Never. You know you have in church if you lose your breath. All right. I got it. I said all of that so I know where I'm going. Stand on your feet, take your Bible's turn. First Kings, Second Kings, Second Kings. Find chapter six. Second Kings chapter six, find verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he's at Doth in verse 14. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. 
And they came at night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So the master said, Do not fear. Everybody say, Don't fear. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We should read that all together. Are you ready? So he, say, so he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Let's pray. Father, in the moments that remain this afternoon, I pray that you would speak to us out of the volume of your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and write upon the fleshly tablets of our heart. I ask that you would take a coal from your altar, that you might place it upon my lips, that when I preach, when I pray, Lord, it would burn faith in the hearts of your people. Lord, we would not sit here in fear or go off even into this week worried about Ebola or ISIS or anything else. Lord, that you would release faith today, Lord, to accomplish what you've called us to as a people and individually. We thank you for what you're going to do for those online, for those gathered here in the matchless holy name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. The context of the scripture is that there's this mighty prophet of God. His name is Elijah. And Elijah is hearing the voice of the Lord and frustrating the attacks of the enemy upon God's people. So God would speak to him and said, Syria is going to attack in this particular location. And you can go and read the text before. We didn't, we didn't read it, but it's in there. And so when they would show up, Israel would be ready, and Syria or Aram, they're, they're the same, couldn't do what they wanted to do to God's people because God had spoken through a prophet and Israel was standing there ready. And this happened so many times. In fact, they said, the, the very words you speak in your bedroom, O king, the king wants to freak out and find who's the traitor. And they said, there's no traitor, there's a prophet. And the very things you speak in your bedroom, O king, Elijah hears and, and shares. And so the king says, well, that's fine then. Let's go get him. Duh. How are you going to go get somebody that hears the voice of the Lord and knows where you're attacking every week? Anyway, he had a spirit of stupid come on him or something. And so he sends his army to a city called Dothan. And there Elijah is, is with his servant. The servant wakes up early in the morning and... Syria had surrounded the city of Dothan to get one guy, to get the man of God. The servant wakes up and he sees all the army and he loses his mind. He says, alas, my master. I mean, he's like, ah, what are we going to do? Oh, we're doomed. We're finished. There's no way out. We're surrounded. His response to the attack was one of fear. Let me ask you, how are you responding in this day with your life? With, let's say, Ebola. And if you've had your head in the sand, let me just tell you that this could very quickly turn into a massive pandemic that sweeps the earth. Oh, it's been spoken about that there's just, it's not when that's going to happen. 
It's not, you know, it's not if it's going to happen, it's, it's, it's when. A pandemic, they come. They're, they've been throughout history. And the way the earth is going, the way the decisions and nations are making laws, even in our own country, we're backslidden. Europe is worse. You've got to wonder whether judgment's going to come upon us. And I've heard people say, we just need to pray down the fire. God doesn't judge America. Then he's going to have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, I ain't praying for judgment because I live here. You live here too, and the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. You need to pray for revival is what we need to pray for. Because if you can get some people like the guy who was healed and began to leap and, and jump and, and praise the Lord, you get some people healed, you get some people set free and serving God and voting that way and voting, you know, not Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve. I mean, you start, you start voting rightly according to the word of God. And you see, that was, did you guys get that? Okay, you, you see America turn back to God, then we will have a major revival. We have not seen the fullness of the Gentiles yet. There, there has to come an apostasy in order for the Lord to return. There's certain things that have to happen. I had one person say to me, well, I'm just going to spend all my money, all my inheritance, and then the Lord will be back this time next year. I thought, that's, that's stupid. Okay, that, that's a bad plan. Okay, the, the, the best plan is plan like he's not coming in your lifetime. Live like he's coming at any moment. The servant of Elijah responds with fear. How are you living? The decisions that you make, the way that you live, are you responding with fear or are you responding with faith? And I'll tell you what the difference is. The difference is if, if you have vision, if you can see, if you can see what the Lord's doing, then you'll walk in vision. And without vision... My people perish. Elijah pops out of his tent or his place of where he's dwelling, and his response is not fear. His response is confidence because he could see. I'm going to talk to you about vision, and I've preached on vision many, many, many times, and from this text. It's one of my favorites. Because to understand who we are at KC and the vision of King's Cathedral and Chapels, you have to understand this text, and you have to understand vision. Because there's no way you'd be able to understand why we do the things that we do, because it's totally insane in the natural. But it's faith confident assurance of what you cannot see. Oh, you can't see it in the natural, but you can see it in the spirit. And furthermore, if you can see it in the spirit, then you can pray it in, give it in, see it released into the natural. Let me tell you just a little bit about our church. We started with three extensions. We now have 100. Our goal is 120, just 20 more by May 2015. We had three extensions when I first came to the church. Minister Micah was like 10, something like that. He's about like this high in all of our productions back in the islands. And I came into church, I got saved. There was just three extensions at that time. God had spoken to our senior pastor, who's still our senior pastor, Dr. James Morocco. And he spoke and said, as the mayor is, ma is mayor of three islands in Maui County, so I want you to be the pastor of three churches. There's three islands there in Maui County, Maui. Lanai and the island of Molokai. And so we have one mayor for, for those, those three islands. Dr. Morocco knew exactly what the Lord was saying, and we planted two churches, painstakingly, I might add, in Molokai and Lanai, and he pastored all three. And that's before multi-site churches. That's before all of that. It was like 1981. 
We started doing that and the vision grew and it grew and it grew. We call it progressive apostolic vision. Vision is always progressive. You say, why is it progressive? It's just the way God is. And I think that we'd probably freak out and lose our minds if he showed us everything all at once. Could be. You might quit. Alaska was the first extension planted outside of the islands. It was just a Pacific Rim vision. Now it's gone worldwide. You know, the Lord fooled us. You just start with these three. Just start with these three. And now it's 120 and it's all over the place. And, and it's, it's the very beginning. I'm just so thankful for Minister Micah and Pastor Alex, a whole other younger generation coming up. Praise God. And who knows, God will maybe use you. Even today. He's using us as a team. And we're so thankful. 1997, this is anniversary Sunday, so 1997, this was planted by a man by the name of Ken Gable. Some of you know Pastor Ken Gable, great man, great visionary, and um, just came, him and his wife, they came, they, they had lived here for a season, and they were in the, in the islands for a season, came back, planted a church in a strip mall. And at some point during this first year and a half, God spoke to him that it needed to be part of King's Cathedral and Chapel. So he called Dr. Morocco on a phone call, and they spoke, and he said, I think you're supposed to be the, ch the pastor of the church in Alaska. And Dr. Morocco said, well, I don't know. I'll pray about that, which is nearly always what Dr. Morocco says, which I'm so thankful for. Man's not pushed or rushed into anything. He'll take three days and pray and then make a decision based on prayer. So he says he prays, and they feel led to come up, and they came. Uh, Pastor Chris was with him during that time. Some of you might have been in that service where he sang and wrote a new song of Fresh Wind. It's on one of our CDs, and it comes from uh, the opening of the church here in Wasilla and Revival. But there's a fresh wind blowing. How many of you know what Wasilla means? It means fresh wind, and that's where that song came from all those years ago. And the fleece that, that we were to move here and to, and to forge ahead was this piece of land that they reached their hands to and they walked it. It was uh, 18 acres at the time. You know the piece of land because you drive by it probably every day, nearly. It's across from Walmart and it's up from Sears. It's the, the new Dodge dealership was built and it's just beyond there at the end of that service road. It's that piece of land, that bluff right there. And so God and his... Miraculous intervention. It wasn't for sale. Harold Newcomb was a mayor of, uh, I believe, Wasilla, is that right, Edna? Years and years ago, the Lord touched his heart and he sold it to us. And we bought that for, oh, I don't think about 750 grand. We were there for a number of years and the church went through some challenges and just really wasn't growing. It wasn't able to sustain the, the, the payment of that property. Never, never mind, build a building there. And so we had church in a barn and and uh, there came time as we all prayed together as a staff. I remember it very well. We're going to sell the property. I remember hearing about that, that we were going to sell that property that God gave us. And I remember hearing, oh, God help the church in Alaska. That's got to be a blow. That's going to be a blow. I hope, they can, I hope they can see it the way that God sees it. I wasn't even up here. We sold that piece of property for $3.5 million. Some, I, I've told the story so many times, but you just can't hear it enough. Because if God could do it for a church, he could certainly do it for you. And we sold it for $3.5 million. We took that, we bought this place for $1.2, and we took the rest of it, and we put it into the vision of King's Cathedral and Chapels Worldwide, of which we would not have a shopping center that's now worth $22 million uh, on, or, or more, $25 million on, on Oahu. We bought it for much less than that.
right at the perfect time. And we have our own shopping center. We had a Kentucky Fried Chicken that was there. And, and uh, I think it was a Jack in the Box. What's the new one? Do you, do you remember? There's a new place that moved in. And anyway, we own that whole shopping center. It wouldn't have happened if we hadn't sold the church and the, the, build the property in Alaska. So we moved here and thankful for the building. It was a little discouraging at first, but we grew rather rapidly. And God called me up right, right after we'd been here about a year. I've been here now eight. We've owned the building about 10, give or take. And we've, and we've grown and we went through some transition and there were some challenges. And then now we're at the place. Now you would know it by looking around here, the noon service, last service was packed. And sometimes there's a good crowd even in the first service. And so we've outgrown our building. We, we don't have enough room in the different places. And how many know that's a good problem? So we've been praying and believing for property without going all the details for the sake of time. God miraculously, through a prophetic word, caused us to go back to the property and stand on it. I went and stood on it. And when I stood on it, I felt the presence of God. I went into the barn where we used to have church, and I stood in the very same spot that we used to preach from. And when I stood in that spot with my two kids and my wife in the truck interceding and praying, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm giving you your property back. Now, I had called about 10 months before that, and it was for the marvelous sale price of $4 million. And I thought, that's not God, praise the Lord. So we just moved on. Just didn't feel led to buy a $4 million piece of property. As we stood there, God then says to me, I'm giving you this belongs to the kingdom. I'm giving it back to you. We, we took steps of faith immediately, put an offer in basically the next day, and bought that for 25% of what it's worth. We bought it for $1 million, the same property. We bought it back. We now own it. That's amazing. Okay, that's, a, that, that's amazing. Come on, Edna, you know, real estate? Come on, what are the odds of that? I mean, there's very small. But only God. I mean, you talk to anybody that does real estate, talk to anybody that does construction, developing. I had a developer get mad at me and glad for the kingdom. He said, man, I'd have come with my million-dollar check. Yeah, he praised God, huh? Praise the Lord. I'm like, hey, praise God. <laughs> we could turn around and sell it, make lots of money. We're not into making money. We're into expanding the kingdom. Vision is progressive. And as we continue to move forward in vision, you'll begin to see continual releases of miracles. Vision is, a, is the beginning of a miracle. Now, there's two kinds of vision. Everybody say two kinds. Okay, there's a literal vision that you can have. God gave me a literal vision. I'm jogging. I'm in Kauai. And I have a vision of the pipeline in Alaska. And I think right at that time, it was like every TV show was about Alaska. You know, there's still quite a few out there. It's a sign of God's, God's favor on our state, a sign of what God's doing here. And he speaks to me and he says, in the same way that there's a pipeline from the North Slope to Valdez, so I'm going to release a pipeline of the golden oil of Zechariah, which has much deeper meaning that I did not know at that time. And I had this vision. I knew I was supposed to go to Alaska. And basically, long story short, October 12th, 2006, I became the pastor of the church here with my beautiful family. And he said, I'm supposed to come up here. And we came up and he gave me vision. It was a literal vision, but there's, there's another kind of vision. Everybody say literal vision. Literal vision. The Macedonian man, Paul, that's a literal vision. He saw a Macedonian man. The man said, come, come, preach the gospel to us. I'm paraphrasing. And he went, that's a literal vision. He said, well, I've never had that. No, that's okay. You may. You may not, but you can, everybody can have the next one. It's called a hope vision. Everybody say hope vision. Hope vision, that means in your heart you have a dream of seeing something happen. 
Although you might not have seen a literal motion picture, a vision that comes about in your heart. You know what you're believing for. God has written it upon your heart. And vision comes that way also. And I'm not sure why God does things that way. Let me give you a couple examples. I'm not going to preach long to you, just a few more minutes. But vision is the beginning of a miracle. God gives vision before he brings about the miracle. Abraham, in Genesis 15, God says, he has got no children. He says, come outside. Abraham goes outside. He says, look up. He looks up and God says, see all the stars? He's like, yeah. He says, I'm going to give you more, more descendants than the stars. He uses vision like that. Every time Abraham went outside and looked up, he saw the stars. Can you count them? He says, wait, let me try. Hold on a second. One, two, three, hundred, two hundred. Wait, wait a second. Was that one there? I mean, and God knows every one of them by name. Abraham tries to count all the stars and he can't do it. And every time he would go outside, he would see the stars. God would say, hey, I'm going to give you lots of kids. But he's barren. For Joseph, the same thing. He give Joseph a dream. So he's in the dungeon. You know, he shared dreams out of, out of uh, timing, and his brothers were highly dysfunctional. And uh, you might have come from a dysfunctional family also. That the Bible's filled with dysfunctional families. Come on, and he uses the likes of us. Come on, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. Anybody, anybody a crackpot out there? Any crackpots? Praise the Lord. Amen. He can flow through you. But Joseph had dreamed. Why would God give a dream to Joseph? To plant in the depths of his heart, in the depths of Joseph's heart, what he wanted to do for Israel and to use him to be really a deliverer. He did the same thing for Jacob. Made a deal with Uncle Laban. He got cheated out of it. Uncle Laban says to, this is Genesis 37, Uncle Laban says to, to Jacob, hey, all the spotted and speckled sheep you can have and all the plain colored ones are mine. Jacob gets this idea. He gets these two sticks in ancient uh, manipulation of DNA. How many of you know DNA is not changed by, what, by, by a bunch of sticks that you look at at a watering trough? Okay, he takes two sticks. He plants it before the, the livestock and he believes that when he sees, when the livestock see the speckled sticks, that they're going to make speckled offspring. How many of you know that is not the way that works? <laughs> However, the sticks were in a statement of his faith, and he had a hope. He had a dream. He had a vision that God was going to bless him and prosper him. Why does God do things three, that way? Why does God release vision? Why does he do that? There's three reasons. If you're taking notes, write these down. Three reasons God uses vision and just doesn't do it any other way. Three reasons. One, it's his nature to do so. There's a big theological word in German, and I can't remember it, nor could I pronounce it, but it basically means this. God speaks, God acts, God speaks again. God speaks, God acts, God speaks again. Would you say that with me? God speaks, God acts, God speaks. He'll speak to a Moses. I've, I've heard the cries of my people. Go and deliver them. I've come down to deliver them. Go. He goes. God wastes the biggest nation, strongest nation in the earth. He brings him back to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and he speaks to him again, and he gives him the Ten Commandments. It is exactly what God does. God speaks, God acts, God speaks again. And each step is a further disclosure of who God is and his ways. Look, when God, when God speaks to us through vision and we begin to respond, it's, it, it reveals to us. It reveals to us who he is and why he does certain things.
Vision is not static, it's dynamic. Static means it's not going anywhere. No, vision is dynamic. It's, it's expansive and it grows. You ever notice when God tells you to do something and you start doing it and then all of a sudden you're like, get more. Great, well done. Do this now. And, and the horizon keeps, keeps lifting. Not only that, but it's God's way of saying that we're important to him. Is it not amazing to you, it is certainly amazing to me, that God would choose mankind to carry the greatest message ever preached in all the earth? The greatest message is that Jesus, God's one and only Son, died on a cross on the, on the feast of Passover, took the sin of the world upon himself, and if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. To as many as, to many as believed on him, he gave them the right, exousia, the authority to become children of God. You say, well, isn't everybody a child of God? No, not everybody's a child of God. God, God made everybody. He knits them together whether they're in their mother's womb, but we have to choose. We have to choose the Lord. You don't just get to go to heaven because you came to church today. You have to choose to repent of your sin. You have to choose to follow him. You have to choose to obey the vision that he'll give you. And if you don't obey, then he's going to give it to somebody else. I'm convinced it's, you know, some of us, certainly me, I think I might have been the fifth or sixth or seventh choice down there. Maybe I'm the hundredth choice. I don't know. You know, God will speak to people, but if they don't obey, in fact, if you go look at, at Moses, God says, I've heard the cry of my people. And I've come to deliver them. Go ahead. Now, here's the thing. He had another Moses besides Moses. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was another. If Moses failed, there was going to be another guy that was going to deliver him. Now, Moses didn't fail. But he almost did. While he's on the way, God comes to kill him. How many of you know that text? It's because he'd not followed through in all the details of what he was supposed to do as a covenant child of God. And even though God heard the, the cry that was brought from the cruel taskmasters over his people, and there's a prophetic word that 400 years they would be in bondage, and then they would be delivered and come back to Canaan's land. All of that's in play. Moses is chosen, but Moses doesn't circumcise his kids for whatever reason. Maybe his wife. In fact, I think it was his wife's fault. She said, thou art a bridegroom of blood to me after she followed through with the flint knife. We won't get any more graphic than that. She followed through and then the Lord, the Lord let him go. He was being judged. He was going to die. Moses is going to die and God is going to pick somebody else. God releases vision to us. If you don't obey, it's kind of your loss. And I'm sure heaven grieves over it, but he'll pick somebody else. You see, we're important to God. You're important to God. Moses, and he lifted up his hands in intercession, and then the battle would be won. Aaron and her on either side. Why would God use mankind? I know, it's crazy, but he partners with us. And really, here's the thing. If it's going to be released in the earth, he's got to find a man. He's got to find a woman. He's got to find a visionary. He's got to find somebody to believe him and take steps of faith. See, some of you wonder why you're not further along. It's because you got offended. You got suspended. You got something went wrong. You decided to quit. You give up. You throw in the towel. God didn't quit on you. 
And then we just get some weird thinking or a distorted idea or a distorted idea about God or a distorted idea about us or a distorted idea about leadership. And you end up on the sideline and God's still moving. God's kingdom's advancing with fire and power. And you could be all in the midst of that, reaping the rewards and, and co-laboring with him. And at the end, here, well done and good and faithful servant. But you get something all up in your craw, you know, and you just want to quit. Well, you can quit. God will raise somebody else up. But he are, we're important to him. It's amazing to me. Come on, somebody say, I'm important to God. And sir, ma'am, if you don't live for God with all your heart, your whole, your whole generation will be affected. Your kids will be affected. Your marriage will be affected. And you wonder why you have a prison ministry. And when the Lord spoke to you to do that thing, but you refuse to believe, you refuse to walk, you refuse to sacrifice, you refuse to move forward. You say, can I just get the blessing of God? You can if you zip your mouth and move forward and pay the price for God's sake. Quit belly. I'm preaching. Pretend I'm the evangelist. You can, but you've got to do your part, Moses. You gotta follow through the circumcision of the heart. That was good preaching there for a second. It was all right. So it's amazing to me that we're important to God and He uses us. And I, I'm convinced also by God giving us vision, He's testing us to see if we'll believe Him or not. He never tests you to see if you'll fail. The devil does that. God tests you to see where you're at and then reward you. If you're faithful in the little things, he makes you ruler over much. And vision encourages us when times are difficult. Do you remember I told you about being in Kauai and I had that vision of the pipeline? You remember that? Well, I came here and I'm not, I'm not so sure the early church that you know, tried to kill me maybe. They didn't tell me that you're supposed to put this stuff called heat in your gas tank when you go up into like 50 below zero. If you didn't know that, let me just tell you, come on, listen, from this Hawaiian boy that came out of it, you got to put, put some little fuel additives because if you don't, your fuel can gel in your tank, leave you on the side of the road freezing to death like it did for me. And as it was freezing to death, so I thought, I started having fear. I started thinking, oh, God, bro, I'm crying. I'm starting to weep. You know, help hadn't come back. I'm all by myself. It's 50 to below zero. I got my bunny boots on and all my cute little outfit and my hat. Nothing was keeping me warm. I'm telling you, 50 below, man, that, that stuff doesn't work after half an hour, man. You like to have to find some other way of keeping yourself warm because you stand still, you know, half an hour, hour, two hours. I don't care what kind of boots, bunny boots. I don't care how big they are. Man, they didn't, weren't working for me. Maybe you got different bunny boots than the ones I got, but mine weren't working. I thought maybe I'll put some air in there or let the air out. I didn't know what to do, I, you know. Freezing on the side of the road, I start weeping. I'm like, God, you brought me out of Hawaii, Lord, to kill me on the side of the road, God. <laughs> and, then I, and then something happened, you know? Something happened. I just got ticked off in the Holy Ghost. You know what I'm saying? I just thought, no, you didn't. You didn't bring me out here to kill me. You brought me here to, to be a part of a revival. And I preached my brains out in the back, in that seat. I, I tried jumping jacks behind a steering wheel. Try that next time you get in your car. Try to do jumping. I've tried it. Doesn't work too good. Yeah. I don't care how far that thing tilts up. It's just in the way. You know what I'm talking about? So you jumping jacks and whatever. I preached, prayed, prophesied, took an offering. I mean, we had church up in that place, in, the, in that truck by myself. Ice all on the inside of the windows. When I finished... I was warm, head to toe, and a state trooper pulled up and rescued me, praise the Lord. 
Vision will encourage you when times are difficult. In other words, as I stood, as I stood there, I thought, you haven't brought me here to die. You brought me here for a revival. You brought me here to see people saved. You brought me here to build a great church. You're going to bring a pipeline of the golden oil of Zechariah, just like there's a pipeline that flows from the North Slope. God, you're releasing your power in Alaska, and it'll hit Alaska and go down into Canada, over into the lower 48, sweep the Northwest, go down into America, God, over into Russia, over into China. Lord, you're bringing a great revival. And I just preached and prayed and prophesied that whole thing. That vision, I think, might have saved my life. I mean, the Lord knows. Vision will release strength to you. Look, if you don't know what you're here for, it's easy to give up. If you don't have a passion that wakes you up in the morning, then you better find one. Passion that doesn't wipe sleep from your eyes is not a very very big passion. Come on and say amen. I need to close. Let me give you some ways of how vision comes. Oh, the, the third thing, the third, the third, if you're taking notes, the third reason God gives vision is so when it comes about, he gets glory. Who could get glory from the, the purchase of property that we sold years ago except God? Somebody, come on, none of us are smart enough to figure out how to be in the right place at the right time to figure the whole thing out. Right on cue, right the same week it goes into foreclosure, give me a break. So when that happens, you just go, whew, he lives. All right, how does vision come? Now keep in mind, before we get into that, that there's always a fight. There's a fight for vision. You have to contend for it. You have to pray for it. You have to believe. You have to ask that God would release greater vision to you. Why? Because the devil knows if you ever get a vision from God, a hope vision, one that's in your heart, or one that's even literal. If you get a vision from God, the devil knows he's finished. If you know you heard from God that you're supposed to go do this thing, hell should just run and quit. Because you're not going to let up. You know God spoke to you, that's it. If you know that God spoke to you, told you to do a thing, that's, that, that, there's, no, there's no talking about that. That's it. It can come through a burden. Everybody say a burden. Nehemiah had a burden. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, had a burden to see the walls rebuilt. He had a vision. He went out and did it. 52 days, a miracle. It can come through a challenge. David and Goliath, he had a vision to drop the uncircumcised Philistine with a rock and cut his head off with his own sword. He even said it. You come to me with, with, uh, with you, you know, I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. I'm going to drop you, you ugly, uncircumcised fathead. And he drops him. Through challenge, he can come through challenge. Vision can come through prophetic word, like, like the way that God gave me a, a prophetic word. And it was vision and prophetic word kind of combined. It can come through an experience. Personally or vicariously, I, I, I enjoy spending time when I travel. I just got back from a trip. I... I I don't, I don't just go anywhere. I, I go where I'm invited and I pray. And if I'm invited to go there, but it's more than just going there. There's these covenant relationships with visionaries. I was at Cape Girardeau, town of 20,000 people. Well, there's like five, four, five, 4,000 people or something in the church that I went to. 4,000 people, a town of 20,000. How does that work? That, that's, those odds are strange. It's a mega church in the middle of a little town. It's smaller than Wasilla, really. People drive in. 
I like being with that guy, Gary Brothers, Pastor Gary Brothers. I like being with him because when I'm with him, something gets on me from what he's got. I like spending time with Dr. Morocco because when I spend time with Dr. Morocco, I think bigger, I see bigger, I, I can believe more. You know, vision can come because you hung out with a visionary you, or you hang out with the ultimate visionary, of course, is Jesus. I remember when we bought Oahu, when we bought that, the monthly payment was $160,000 a month. You thought your mortgage payment was big. That's a fat mortgage payment. Well, wouldn't be that fat if we had the money. The only thing is we didn't have anything. So we were going to totally believe God and the Lord spoke. And I remember when we signed the deal, we, all of us came into Oahu and we stood in the Time supermarket. It was, still a, it was still a grocery store. And we were going to convert it and make a church. Dr. Morocco had us all fly in. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And we're all gathered. We just signed the papers just before that meeting. He said, we've just signed. This is now going to be ours. I want you all pray and walk all the aisles. And everybody's like, all right. I mean, it was like a really serious moment because, I mean, we didn't have any money, but we had lots of faith. Didn't have any money to do it. We're approved. We got the law and the whole thing. We're moving forward. God knows how that was going to be paid every month because there was no, it was insane. Okay. Everybody walks off and I start walking off and I look and I see Dr. Morocco. He's got this certain way of walking. I see him walking down the aisle and I have this thought gosh I wonder what it's like to be him right now because he's the one that's put his name on it you know I thought man that's heavy and I just felt like the Lord said go go walk with him and so I I'm walking next to him and we're walking down the aisle and there he is and I'm walking next to him and I said uh hey doc yes yeah I said so now that you signed your name and you know, how are you feeling right now? He goes, that's irrelevant. It's exactly what he said to me. He says, that's irrelevant. I thought, okay. And the next thing he says, we are engaged. Now you want to get near someone who's changing nations. You want to get near people that have got vision. It's not about our feelings. Your feelings are coming and going. They're highly overrated. So I fell out of love with my husband. What are you, stupid or something? I mean, like, slap yourself. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has everything to do with covenant, commitment, and vision. We are going to see 120 churches by May. We are going to fulfill what God called us to do. We are going to raise up preachers and pastors, those with apostolic vision. We're going to raise up people. The King's School of Ministry is going to be filled with students that fly in from all over the world. We will build a church on that very precipice. Overlook, when you drive into Wasilla, you'll be greeted by this beautiful building that says that God is on the throne, the devil's been defeated, and there's a group of people that are going to walk by faith that are full of vision. Can you say amen? Come on, can you say amen? This keyboard sign. Oh, oh, and he's saying the, the video, the, the video sign. Okay, we'll go with that. I want you to see this. Five years ago, God gave us a vision birthed in prayer. 
By May of 2015, we could be in 120 locations, ministering to 20,000 people weekly. Somebody say praise the Lord. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I preached on vision in both the morning services and now in the afternoon. I'm challenging you to be a part of it. Uh, ushers, if you'd help me out, please. And we do this two times a year. If I could have one of those cars, that'd be great. We do this two times a year, call a commitment to the daily seed. The daily seed is something we do above and beyond our tithe to move the vision forward. He said, well, I'm just visiting today. Well, then just enjoy the ride. I hope you got encouraged. May God give you a vision. If you're not a part of a church, we'd invite you to come to be a part of what God's doing here. We're excited about it. And we just believe that through even today, we're gonna see us move forward in a way that we never have before. So I want you to pray. Get a card. Get a card, pray. Ask the Lord what you should do and receive a special offering to the vision of KC that by May 2015, we'll hit 120 churches. Now in Alaska, we've planted Bristol Bay, we've planted Anchorage, we've planted Delta Junction, and we've planted Florida. That's why I see you heard some people holler, Minister uh, Trent over there in, in Havana, Florida. It's uh, just on the outskirts of Tallahassee. All of the extensions worldwide are doing this very same thing that we're doing. My wife and I gave sacrificially and we were blessed to be able to do it. We asked God to help us, and He certainly did. He came through miraculously. We were able to give and sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't outgive God. Come on, say that. You can't outgive God. The widow was picking up sticks, and the man of God came to town, and he said to her, Hey, give me a glass of water. She goes to get him a glass of water, and he says, Oh, and by the way, get me, get me a cake, too. In the newspaper, it would have been preacher steals widow's last meal. You know, that would have been in the newspaper. But the key verse is that if you'll do this, then the Lord will cause your flour never to cease and the oil will never run dry until rain comes in the earth. She obeys. It's a choice to, to be a part of a miracle. She obeys and God gave her a miracle. The same is true when you see Elijah and the prophets of Baal Mount Carmel and calls down the fire. Lots of people want the fire. They're not willing to do the other part of that. He says to the people after he talks trash, he talks trash to the prophets of Baal. They're calling on Baal. They're cutting themselves. Baal doesn't show up. Shock, shock. He says, can't you call louder? Can't you, can't you just make a bigger? He does the spirit of trash talk comes on the prophet. I, I, I like that. I think this might be the first event of trash talking. He says, what's the matter? Is your God deaf? Maybe he's sleeping and on and on. 
It's then Elijah's turn and he rebuilds the altar, with 12 stones of the tribes of Israel. And he has the people go, he arranges the wood and he puts the sacrifice on it. And then he says to the people, he says, go fill these four water pots with water. It's a drought. It's a drought. Now you need to understand this. The most precious thing to them was water. Go fill four water. Excuse me, it's a drought. You're the one that called it by the word Lord, by the way. And now water, do you know how far we have to go? It's not like they just turned on a spigot and they filled four water pots. No, they had to go get it. We don't know the period of time, but it took work, it took time, it took effort. And they brought the four water pots. They poured out over the altar and it goes into the trenches and he says, yeah, do it again. Excuse me? Yes, go get four more. He did that three times, a total of 12 pots of water they dump, and it is then that fire falls. Fire only falls on sacrifice. We're gonna see this thing come about, and I invite you, give you the, the opportunity. It's an opportunity that you can step into, see the release of the power of God in your own life. I've given sacrificially and I'll do it a time and time again. I'm not in this for a job. This is not a job to me. This is what God's called us to do, to see this great state, to see our nation turn back to God. Can you say amen? See, do you have to be so serious? Yeah, it's life or death. And if it means death, well, so be it. That's it. It's a reasonable thing we should do considering all he's done for us. Can you say amen? All right, so take a moment, won't you? Take a moment, take a look at the card. Commit yourself to the daily seat. If you're gonna give a special offering, we're gonna receive that now. If you're not ready to do that, you can certainly do it next week or tonight. And then it says, I'm committed to give the daily seat above and beyond my regular tithes and offerings, the amount of, and then you, you just make a faith call. Amen. And then we're gonna pray for you. This is not going out, you know, on some list and then we just send people to harass you. We don't do any of that mess. It's just a way of, of challenging you and putting commitment to it. And we'll pray for you that God will provide. How many wouldn't mind God providing and flowing through your resources? It'd be okay if God, right? Me too, amen. All right, so just take a few moments. And then we'll pray. Go ahead. Come on, talk to Jesus. Jesus, I believe in you. If you need an envelope, go ahead, slip your hand up. We're going to give a special gift towards the vision of the house. As we do this twice a year, as I said, see this move forward. Let me share with you where we're at with our property. We're in the design phase. We've not settled on our architect yet. And there's a building uh, a commission, a group that's gathered together businessmen and builders and, and uh, we're putting the whole design thing together so you pray for that um, there's a barn that we used to meet in how many of you remember the barn oh and all right blue barn we used to meet there it got all the windows blown out doors kicked in drywall messed up vandalized horrible roof is leaking the barn really is in the wrong place I'm going to try to see if we can't work it in so that it'd be kind of nice if our first church building we still have on our bridge, just a little, you know, but we're not gonna worship a building, amen, we're gonna worship the Lord. It's in the wrong place, really. Well, we'll see how it all works out. There's really no way to move that in the future because it's not on a foundation, it sits on a slab and they say it's just not, you're not able to move it. However, 
Taxes on that property are rather expensive. It's appraised at $4 million. That's a lot. We paid $1 million. I'll do the math on that. It's quite a bit of money in taxes. However, we're a tax-exempt 501c3 corporation. Anybody following me? Uh, yeah, somebody say hallelujah. Yeah, the only thing is, if you're not using the property for the purpose for which your 501c3 is stated, you do not get tax-exempt status on your property. So, we have been possessing the land. We've met out there on Saturdays. Every Saturday we've met there. We're changing it this next week because it's cold and it's wet. So we're going to meet here this next Saturday for for prayer specifically for a building project at 7 a.m. But we've been meeting out there. Now we need to continue to meet out there, otherwise we're not keeping our word. We've got to finish that building and it's less than the taxes. So somebody say hallelujah. Really it's not gonna cost much, about 10 grand. I think we'll fix that thing up and we'll move in and make it a house of prayer. And we'll just possess that thing and we'll do all kinds of stuff and just see it happen. Believe in God, just break ground in the spring. Would you believe with me? Do you believe they'll break ground in the springtime? How many of you going to pray for that? That's not enough. Okay, come on, help me out. Let me go. Come on, it's springtime. All right, got a lot of work before that. Amen. Thank you so much for your generosity and your believing God and being a part of a vision that's bigger than yourself. We're going to see it happen. Can you say amen? Ushers, would you come? Let's pray. Then we'll sing and then we'll close. Then we'll have a pumpkin patch outreach meeting. Don't you love this place? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, as we've committed even to be a part of this vision and to see things flourish, even in to finish the race, I pray that you would meet every need. You would bless the gift and the giver. Multiply it many times over. Thank you, Lord, for faithful people that have risen up to say yes, even to sacrifice to see it to come about. Bless us, God, as we give right now. Bless the gift and the giver. Multiply it. Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, go ahead. Jesus, I believe in you. here and you're not right with God, we want to give you an opportunity to get right with Him, whether it be the first time or in recommitment. Maybe you've drifted away from the Lord, or maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus today. Do it today before, you, before you're done here. Don't have this service closed and not be right with Him. If you're online, just find a place and pull your car over if you're listening to the podcast or something. Just pull over and get right with God right now. All across this place, if that's you, you want to get right with Jesus, pray this prayer just right out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on a cross for me and you rose from the grave for me. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. 
thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you touch and fill each and every one right now in the name of Jesus. Be filled. Be healed. Be whole. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065 or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.